Well, the general direction is towards more and a more and more advanced technology, right? I believe that technology is inevitable. Where there is a certain level of intelligence that biology introduces, you know, and I think humankind seems to have been past that threshold of the opposable thumbs and a level of intelligence and adaptability and the ability to get into tools. Once you get into tool making, I think technology becomes inevitable. And I mean that in the sense that uh, maybe uh, Professor Einstein saved us another 20 years of walking around in the dark. He gave us relativity, uh, maybe 20 years, 30 years in advance of when the rest of mankind would have uncovered that. But would anybody seriously say that without Einstein, there would never have been a relativity ever? In my childhood, I had many experiences where I would discover a phenomenon. I would run up to my father and I would say, look what I discovered. And he would say, yes, it's called such and such is law of such and such. And I would be, you know, completely deflated because it had been done before. But at the same time, you know, now with 100 billion people behind us saying one new thing is so difficult that when you feel that you're close to that, you know, it's an absolute absolutely magical experience and welcome to fringe fm the podcast that explores the edges of human understanding and looks at the technologies trends and societal norms shaping our collective future here the world's top minds share their insights and predictions on the convergence direction and ethics of exponential technologies transforming life as we know it you can learn more and stay up to date at fringe.fm Describe yourself. What does it feel like to be you? What would it feel like for someone else to be you? Could you be you in a robot's body? Could a robot have a I feeling? These questions and more. Today, we have Amir Hussein on the program. Amir is a serial entrepreneur, author, and inventor. He's a finalist for the Ernst Young Entrepreneur of the Year for 2018. He's one of the top 100 global influencers in AI. He's a prolific inventor with 27 U.S. patents awarded and 40 more that are pending. Amir served as a founding member of the Board of Advisors for IBM's Watson. Amir is also an author of The Sentient Machine, The Coming Age of Artificial Intelligence, an artificial intelligence we will be talking about today. In addition to all that, Amir is the founder and CEO of Spark Cognition, a leading AI company that's bringing AI to the enterprise and scaling things very quickly. In today's episode, we discuss the nature of intelligence, why we need to start having mature discussions around artificial intelligence to avoid disaster, how Amir and AI researchers think about consciousness and ethics, what people aren't talking about when it comes to AI, why Amir is optimistic about the future, the reason technological progress is inevitable, how humanity may or may not interact and coexist with AI, the reason we need to embed human values into AI and robotics, how the shift from public to private space companies is transforming the industry, the other political and economic systems which autonomy may necessitate, how AI and big data have the tendency to accelerate inequality, and why the term artificial intelligence doesn't really mean anything. And now without further ado, I give you Amir Hussein. Do you meditate? I know I do, and we've talked about it a ton on the podcast. The benefits are enormous. We had Ariel Garten on the program a while back, and she founded this company called Muse. They make a neurofeedback, i.e. brain-sensing device that helps meditators, anyone really, learn to control their mind and quiet their thoughts. The science is great, and neurofeedback helps meditators achieve zen-level results in less time. I'm a big fan of meditation, as you guys probably know, and Muse is hooking listeners up with 15% off when they use our link. Disruptors.fm slash Muse. That's M-U-S-E. Disruptors.fm slash Muse if you want to take your meditation and mind to the next level. And now, let's get on with the program. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. 
Well, I got into this at a very young age. You know, I've been fascinated with computers since the age of four. I saw my first Commodore 64 and fell in love with computing and all the possibilities that it affords us. I think the things that you can create within that virtual domain unlock creativity of a kind that's very hard to visualize or try out or be a part of in any other way. So I was hooked at a very early age and I've never wanted to be, you know, a fireman or a policeman or anything else. It's all been about computing for me. My whole life has been about that. Uh, In my teenage years, I got very interested in artificial intelligence and in fact, uh, started working on some problems seriously and published my first IEEE research paper in in the subject. I wrote it when I was 15 and got published when I was 16. And there's been no looking back for me. So this has been an obsession. And, uh, Then in my entrepreneurial career, as I've done a series of companies, there's always been a key AI theme in all uh, all of them. Of course, it's been less cool uh, to actually come out in the open and say you were doing an AI company. At previous times in history, there's been some skepticism, but I think now artificial intelligence is coming into its own. uh, And this AI 3.0 revolution that we're seeing now is allowing AI technology to deliver real business benefits. So it's paying its way towards the next round of improvements and the next developments in the science and technology. With technology, you always see that undulation up and down between hype and results. Do you think we're nearing towards the end of that driving cycle? I mean, right now we're in a hype cycle, but potentially you could say we're also moving towards the direction where a lot of dreams have been realized. Or will we have another AI winter in the, in the future? I don't think we'll have another AI winter. And the reason for it is that in the past, you know, actually, it's, it's worth a second to really think about why there are these ups and downs in technology and why the market loses faith. It's because the market is focused on the short term. Uh, people are not generally very patient. So put, putting it into context, what are we trying to do? We're trying to replicate and improve on the end result of 13.8 billion years of evolution. The most complex object in the known universe is the human brain. And the outcomes that we see all around ourselves, the development of society and culture and poetry and science has all come from this most complex object. And what we're saying now is that with technology, with synthetic systems, with software, we will be able to unlock some of these secrets that we will be able to, in certain ways, move beyond this. And even though those synthetic systems may not have exactly the same kind of thinking as the human brain does, uh, this is a massive monumental advance, the biggest in, in the history of the human uh, species. So to be impatient about this and to say that, you know, um, you're, you're two quarters late and therefore here's the next AI winter, that to me is just uh, <laughs> fantastically comical. However, I will say that one of the key economic benefits, if you will, of the current state of AI technology is that AI systems, practical AI systems are solving real world problems now. So in the area of perception, for example, image recognition and being able to extract objects from video feeds that enable things like self-driving cars or surveillance systems or uh, text recognition for much better OCR, you know, optical character recognition or better voice recognition. These are all commercial systems that are being used today and people are paying money for them. And so in the background, there is a team of AI researchers that are building better and better algorithms that enable this commercial output. And because that connection has been made, because AI-powered products, even simplistic products, are being funded now through market demand, through use, it's become sort of self-sustainable. And that is why I think that you won't see an AI winter. You may have people stop talking about AI just as 
people used to talk front and center about computers and computers were the thing. Well, now people assume that most new business models are enabled with digital technology and you don't see people obsessing about computers or operating systems as much as they once did. So technology, when it becomes prevalent, it fades at the background, but it doesn't change the nature of what is actually happening to enable these new magical kinds of experiences that we see around us. Artificial intelligence may be just part of our new reality, and we may not talk about it as much, but I don't think we're going to have another AI winter. Do you think artificial intelligence and robotics is a moving a moving target, so to speak, every time software catches up and conventional easy things? But essentially, I mean, we could kind of have called a, a calculator artificial intelligence in the past, and we just keep moving that guidepost forward. Do you think we ever get to the point of saying this is artificial intelligence? And is that point general intelligence, sentience? Well, maybe one thoughts? day when the artificial intelligence convinces us that it is artificial intelligence uh, and maybe more intelligent than us, then there won't be an argument left. But I say that only partly in jest. The reality is that, yes, since the early days of artificial intelligence from the days of the Dartmouth Conference in 1956, there's been a moving target. And in fact, the definition of artificial intelligence has been, you know, the, the, the building of smart software that solves problems that would otherwise require human intelligence. And that, by definition, is a moving target type definition. For 2,000 years, we thought that chess was such a great grand game, and it taught kings about strategy and generals about maneuvering on the field and reasoning and so on and so forth. And yet, uh, when computers started playing chess better than humans uh, could, everybody looked at that and said, ah, you know, it was just, uh, it was, you just needed a faster computer. There's really not much to it. There's, there's not much wisdom. It's just calculation. And of course, a computer can solve that problem because computers are just calculators and that's how it happened. So uh, from one of the grandest challenges that the human race was, uh, was faced with, uh, better and more elegant uh, strategies in chess, uh, something that uh, kept our uh, attention for 2000 years suddenly becomes, oh, just another calculator type problem that can be solved easily. So this is just one example. And of course, now we've solved Go. When we did chess, a lot of people said, well, you know, Go is far more complex. Go computers will never get. But now we got Go. We'll soon have other many practical problems uh, solved with, uh, with computers. And with each one of these, people will deconstruct the problem. Once you are able to build a system, you can examine the system. Once you're able to examine the system, with that introspection comes knowledge. And sometimes you confuse knowing how something works with the reality because, you know, mystery is complex. And when you're able to break things down into a simple thing that you can understand, you might say, ah, I knew that all along. It wasn't that complex. So yes, AI has faced a little bit of that. But to me, that's kind of immaterial because really what uh, I'm focused on, what we're focused on here at Spark Cognition is to build technology the world uses and technology that changes the world. Whether people, uh, you know, have a flippant reaction to it, uh, you know, at, so, at some level that, oh, of course, we knew how to do it or, okay, but if it changes the world for the better, we're still doing it. What if they have an incredibly positive or negative view? So as, as we move towards more productive, powerful, and creative artificial intelligence, there's really one of three ways it could, four ways it could go. It could get integrated into humanity in terms of we upgrade ourselves. It could get into a situation where people worship it as a god, which we've had plenty of gods in the past. It could get into a situation of we hate it and it either destroys us or something else happens, or we're just strangely detached from it. So we have robots, but we're not able to tell if they're conscious or sentient. Where do you see AI headed? What are some of the ethical concerns? And what are your thoughts on just the general direction? Well, the general direction is towards more and a more and more advanced technology, right? I believe that technology is inevitable. Where there is a certain level of intelligence that biology introduces, you know, and I think humankind seems to have been past that threshold 
of the opposable thumbs and a level of intelligence and adaptability and the ability to get into tools. Once you get into tool making, I think technology becomes inevitable. And I mean that in the sense that uh, maybe uh, Professor Einstein saved us another 20 years of walking around in the dark. He gave us relativity, uh, maybe 20 years, 30 years in advance of when the rest of mankind would have uncovered that. But would anybody seriously say that without Einstein, there would never have been a relativity ever? And human history in the past shows us that concurrently, there have been inventions, discoveries of the same fundamental scientific concept in unconnected, totally distant lands by different people who were working on the same problem at the same time. Nobel Prizes have been awarded to people like Abdul Salam and Weinberg, Steven Weinberg, who weren't connected. They weren't doing work together, but they uncovered the same fundamental truths about physics at roughly the same time. So this is a phenomenon that is just, uh, before us and is uh, evident in history. So now if you take that as your starting point, artificial intelligence and the progress of computer science, the progress of these exponential technologies, I feel is also inevitable. And given that that's the case, you know, what shape could it take? too far out into the future to try to predict that is, I think, a fool's errand. But what I will say is that we are now getting close to the point where we are replicating, we've replicated the power of the human muscle. How many jobs today really rely on human beings as a provider of of physical muscle? There's hydraulics and electric powered systems and all sorts of replicated muscle that allows us to do jobs much more efficiently. Now we're getting into the era, the age, where we will be able to replicate Uh, slivers of the human mind and that cognitive capacity. Now, will we reach 100% or will we stop at 93%? Will we be able to perform certain tasks better than human beings, but never in one artificial creation, all tasks performed by human beings? To me, that's really not the point. The point is that the world will change in ways that are so tremendous and drastic that we should be thinking more about that. And here's what I mean by it. You know, McKinsey did a study recently where they said that in the early 2030s, both the UK and um, America uh, here in the United States, we'll see a a potential up to 30, 35% displacement of jobs. So in other words, 30 to 35% of the jobs in the economy today will be done by artificial intelligence systems controlling robotics. Hey, do you like Fringe FM? What about Amazon? Do you want a free $50 Amazon gift card? We're doing a review raffle giveaway now through the end of this month. Anyone who goes to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and leaves a review for Fringe FM, ideally a good review, but if you don't like the show, that's acceptable as well. Leaves a review. We want to encourage reviews because reviews help us rank higher, a big difference, and to do that, we need to reach people. So if you go to fringe.fm slash iTunes, you'll be able to open up in the iTunes app, either on your computer or on your phone, and leave a review. We'll be randomly selecting a winner. Over the course of the next month, we'll have all of our entries come in, and then we'll announce it on the show. If that's you, you reach out to us with some form of proof, and we'll send you a free Amazon $50 gift card to use on whatever you want. And yes, we know we are bribing you with an Amazon gift card, but the reviews are incredibly important for us, and the science shows that rewards make action happen. So if you want to enter the contest, just go to fringe.fm slash iTunes and leave a review. Make sure that you take a screenshot, and then if you end up winning, you will get that free $50 Amazon gift card. And now we'll jump back to the episode. Now, whether we reach 100% AGI level, commander data level, you know, to me is almost secondary because I don't think anybody doubts that we'll get mass displacement of jobs in the, in the coming years. So if that's the case, what are we doing as a society to create an environment where we can 
benefit from the dividends of the technology, given that it is inevitable, and at the same time protect those in our society that deserve protection. Because this development isn't for any fault of theirs, it is the inevitable march of human progress. And in that march, along that march, one of the human characteristics that we need to accentuate, that we need to reflect on, is a compassion. So with that compassion, we take people along and with a lack of fear, we allow technology to benefit us as a whole, as a people, as a species. That to me is the real political challenge as we enter the AI century. And that is sadly what I hear politicians talk about the least. It is, in my view, far more important than a lot of the other bunkum that takes up the airwaves these days. I would completely agree with that. And I would say it almost seems as if we're going backwards in terms of the direction we should be going to make a reality like that more at least talked about and possible. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what grand place we are all poised as the human race now at the cusp of being able to understand, you know, deep secrets and being able to create that which can create in turn. What a magical moment. And this unlocks for society so many benefits, so many wonders. Uh, It allows us to potentially contemplate a society in which systems, technology can take care of our base needs and free us to pursue ideas and create in a way that we've never been able to. So that is a tremendous opportunity, but it requires us to be compassionate and to think about how we ensure that uh, those in society that will be displaced are taken care of effectively. Do you have any any good solutions for this? Is this a, a UBI type situation? Is this something where asteroid mining or off-Earth resources need to be granted to the people? Any any thoughts? Well, there's many models that people have talked about, right? There is uh, universal basic income. Yes, that's being tried in the Scandinavian countries. Then the second is a tax on the infrastructure, tax on robots, and so on and so forth. You know, one of the things that I've thought about often is this notion of um, the idea coin or knowledge currency. I wrote about this in my book, uh, The Sentient Machine. And in fact, the uh, the extended paperback has a new chapter that really talks about this in greater detail. But the idea that we are fundamentally unique because not, not because of our computational capacity, but because of our perspective. The landscape of ideas is infinite. And what we don't have to fear is the faster speed at which machines surf through this landscape of ideas. Because for a, an infinite landscape, any measure of speed is essentially the same. You're going to uncover 0% of an infinite landscape operating at any speed. So what matters is not the speed, what matters is perspective. Where in this landscape do you instantiate yourself? Where in this landscape do you start looking? So because of the relevance of perspective, humanity's points of view, humanity's perspectives, an individual child looking at a problem in a unique way, that will still always be valuable, even in the era of super intelligent AI systems. And because this is my belief, I feel that that fundamental uh, contribution that humanity makes, which is of ideas and perspective, that nexus of ideas and perspective, that a future economy should be able to uh, reward that and monetize that. So that is one of the concepts that I talk about in The Sentient Machine. So that's, you know, a third area. Uh, In the near term, there's also ideas around resource sharing. So you are in a country, you're in a continent, you are humanity uh, on this planet. 
And each one of us, given the number of us in the world, have some percent of uh, ownership of the resources that we have. Could we, for example, allow each one of us to benefit from those resources rather than it being a discussion around taxes? Could it become a, defin- a, a discussion around dividends? If we've created the automated infrastructure to take care of all of our needs, and this is, for the most part, a dark infrastructure that doesn't require human involvement, then could we move to paying dividends to everyone that's around while still creating uh, some sort of a goal, some sort of a moonshot? Hey, Matt here. Interested in resource-based economies and alternative economic models? You should listen to our episode with Roxanne Meadows. This was episode number 19. If you go to fringe.fm and search for Roxanne, you should be able to find that. She's part of the Venus Project, which examines how humanity may evolve beyond capitalism, socialism, communism, and all other forms to date of economic and political organization to something more, something post-scarcity, so to speak. And that really is the challenge of future leaders. If, if you aren't motivating people so that they can pay their bills and get enough food on the table, and which we don't want that, we want to move beyond that. What are the new goals that we will motivate people with? And that can have dystopian endings and it can have wonderfully um, opportune endings. And I, of course, favor the latter. I favor a JFK, put a man on the moon, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. And in pursuing that goal, you uncover so many other hidden secrets of science, so many other gifts that keep on giving. That's the approach that I would like to take. I like the approach. I'm both positive and skeptical about it in in certain ways. Do you think that we could get to a place as a society where people would even consider changing the incentive structures like that without potentially a revolution possibly caused by AI displacing jobs? I think jobs? it's possible. I think that we are, uh, what I get scared by is the lackadaisical attitude amongst our global leadership in really taking this challenge on and starting to solve it or address it or discuss it in a serious way. Our country is in serious trouble. China has our jobs. Mexico has our jobs. Politicians are all talk, no action. We are going to make our country great again. I'm really rich. The problem with an exponential technology and exponential increases in technological capacity is that the linear processes of government, and I would say the sublinear processes of government, they're very, very slow. They are, they seem to be a fundamental mismatch for where technology is headed. And the de jure is outpaced dramatically by the de facto. We're seeing this in the area of autonomous weapon systems, where for five years, the Convention on Conventional Weapons in the UN has been meeting with over 100 countries represented. So far, they don't even have a definition of what an autonomous weapon system is. And yet people are talking about bans. Banning what? Without a definition of the, of the system. And there's competing goals and so on. So yes, those sorts of things are very concerning. But I think this is also the time where uh, private citizens have a greater uh, role to play. We can move fast. There are many amongst us. There are the, the Bill Gates of the world, you know, that sort of an approach, which says, look, I have the capacity to make positive impact at a grand scale, and I can do that, and I should do that. It's part of the reason why, even though there's no commercial payback, I like being involved in the social debate aspect of this. I participate in organizations in DC because I do want people to realize how significant of a problem this is. I do that in my very small way, but others uh, are doing it in an even more significant way. And I think that is the encouragement that I seek. And look, the human condition has been terrible. The human condition is terrible. There are many who take the view that, yes, it is terrible, but it's becoming better. And I agree with them. But I would say on the whole, 
it's still not roses and rainbows. It's still on the whole a terrible condition. But one can look at that and be paralyzed or one can look at that and say, okay, let me seek my purpose. Because all of us are here for a short period of time. And in that short period of time, we have to find a meaningful purpose. Whether we win or lose is one thing, but the feeling that we contributed to something that gave us hope while we were pursuing, while we were undertaking that journey, that's really what it's all about. And I've got to give myself that hope. So I suppose, uh, you know, there you have it. That's my view. And you, listener, consider supporting Fringe FM on Patreon. Fringe FM is completely independently produced, free of ads, and designed to bring the best information from the smartest folks directly to you without any type of bias or incentive structure. If you go to fringe.fm slash Patreon or fringe.fm slash support, you can find different ways of supporting us here at Fringe FM to help us produce more content, put out more valuable stuff in the world, and ideally make the world, or at least your part of the world, a bit of a better place. You might spend, what, 10 bucks a month on Netflix to be able to binge watch House of Cards or something else, which really just wastes your mind away. We're trying to build on your mind, ideally on your career, and especially on our world. Fringe.fm slash Patreon if you love what we do and would like to support. Completely agree. Life is definitely about having a purpose and overcoming challenges. I want to talk a little bit now about your book, The Sentient Machine, The Coming Age of Artificial Intelligence. So are we moving towards, in your opinion, uh, a world of sentient or conscious robots? When does a perceptual schematic become consciousness? When does a difference engine become the search for truth? When does a personality simulation become the bitter moat of a soul? Well, I think, you know, uh, coming back to sort of intelligence, the definition of intelligence really is the capacity to pursue greater and grander goals. And the greater these goals are, the greater the level of intelligence. And at some stage, you can actually rewrite goals. And that then, to me, is sort of an ultimate level of intelligence. Now, the other aspect of all of this is uh, being able to identify yourself as a self, right? So being able to model yourself as one of the actors in, in uh, pursuit of great and grand goals. I feel that capability is really critical to being able to pursue a grand goal. You have to have a sense of self. Now, from these things, from a higher level of intelligence, great uh, pursuit of grand goals and an ability to model yourself in the environment, that is really where sentience comes from. So the subjective experience of sentience, however, is the, the problem, right? Will we ever be able to say that a machine has the same subjective experience that we do as human beings? The challenge there, of course, is that I can't say that you and I have the same subjective experience of sentience or of anything that we experience. And uh, therefore, if between two human beings, this is a difficult problem to solve, between man and machine, it will be a difficult problem to solve. There are some interim approaches like looking at what's actually happening, looking at the actions that accrue from uh, a system. And can you assume that that system is conscious of itself? Otherwise, it wouldn't be undertaking certain actions. Yes, those are some sorts of probabilistic assessments that you could do. Is technology becoming more and more sophisticated and are AI models possibly able to reflect on themselves in, you know, in such a model? Yes, I think self-referential incorporation of a model in the environment and an awareness of its own self as a model 
at a technical level that exists, but I think nobody would tell you today that that is of such a complexity that it's likely that the system has a subjective experience equivalent to that of a human being. In the future, could that happen? Maybe there are some approaches like whole brain emulation, which seek to really emulate the human brain, deconstruct it, understand it and replicate it. And maybe at that level of complexity, you'll get that. So what I do know, though, is that these uh, phenomena like uh, sentience are emergent phenomena. And as these systems that we're building, synthetic systems, become more and more complex. Could that occur? Yes. I think people would argue till their last day that the subjective experience isn't equivalent. But frankly, uh, I don't know how to settle that debate. And it also wouldn't necessarily mean if uh, equivalence doesn't necessarily matter. The only, diff- the only thing that really matters is if it is somehow there. So the, the big question I have, and I think a lot of people would have when they think about it is, what happens when we have machines that at the very least appear to be sentient and conscious? Either you can't have them as robot slaves anymore, or we become purely evil people. And yet, if you look at how people interact with robots, dogs, etc., we seem to give the thought of something else having consciousness. That seems to be the way that humans are wired, is to assume it. Well, you know, I was very young and I was traveling with my parents, uh, and there was... Um, just uh, at a street corner, there was an unfortunate person, not very well off, that was asking for arms. And, you know, my father gave him some money. And I asked him, I said, how do you know that that's real? That, you know, I've heard, because I did hear from friends that, oh, you know, uh, this peddling and all, this is just a racket and they don't need it and this and that. And my father said to me, he said, well, uh, so what? Uh, let's say that it is a racket. It's not about him. It's about me. When somebody came to me, who I could help. And I had the opportunity. I helped him. Now, whether he is pulling a ruse or a farce or, you know, lying to me, that's partly his problem. Now, I'm not asking you to agree with that philosoph- uh, with that uh, philosophical view or disagree with it. But at least to my young mind, that had some impact. And you, listener, consider supporting Fringe FM on Patreon. Fringe FM is completely independently produced free of ads, and designed to bring the best information from the smartest folks directly to you without any type of bias or incentive structure. If you go to fringe.fm slash Patreon or fringe.fm slash support, you can find different ways of supporting us here at Fringe FM to help us produce more content, put out more valuable stuff in the world, and ideally make the world, or at least your part of the world, a bit of a better place. You might spend, what, 10 bucks a month on Netflix to be able to binge watch House of Cards or something else, which really just wastes your mind away. We're trying to build on your mind, ideally on your career, and especially on our world. Fringe.fm slash Patreon, if you love what we do and would like to support. Again, only do this if an extra cup of coffee or two a month isn't going to hurt you financially. If it is, we don't want you supporting us. You have much more important things to focus on. But if you can afford an extra cup of coffee, if it's not something that's going to break the bank or you have to even think about, then consider supporting Fringe FM. Fringe.fm slash Patreon. Thanks, guys, and we will come back to you soon. The reason why I told you that story is to say this, that when machines start to exhibit the kind of sentiment, behavior, observable characteristics that cause you to believe that there's something there, then isn't it a reflection on us as humans? as to what we give them. And maybe it is a ruse and maybe it is, it's a panhandler who's, uh, who's faking it. But at the end of the day, I think it speaks to us and not just to the machine in that relationship uh, where there's a give and a take and you, you voluntarily give 
that means that you have just elevated yourself. So personally, I'm not trying to make up rules for society. Who am I to do that? I think uh, one has to engage society in a debate and we have to speak about this openly and more rapidly than we are now. But my own view is that if I saw something that was experiencing pain or that was in need, and if I didn't recognize it to be the same as me, that I hope I'm uh, a good enough human being to, to attempt to help it. A lot, of, a lot of people will look at that and say, yes, that's how easily human beings are played. That's how the future AGI, the ASI will break out, and that's how it'll enslave the world. And <laughs> I don't know about that because in my experience, when I meet people, when I meet human beings that are intelligent, not just in a bookish way, but that are that that bring a lot together, that have wisdom, that are cultured, that are well-read, that have a well-rounded education, and they're not just smart in one little area. They they have taken in the wisdom. That kind of person to me is always more gentle, is always more open, is always more giving because without that, you can't be wise. Uh, and, I, and I hope that if there's going to be a super intelligent machine, it'll also be a super wise machine. And that's really what, uh, again, this is all non-scientific, idle thinking on my part. But you know, at a philosophical level, I do hope that that happens. I do hope that there's confluence between truly super intelligence, well-rounded intelligence, and some sort of elevated wisdom. To be fair, it almost is it almost is scientific in that your brain is more or less a black box. We have several different neural nets working in there, all in conjunction. There's plenty of reason to assume that potential super intelligence in the future may function or evolve some of the same types of attributes that people have. There's plenty of reason to assume that doesn't happen as well. But it's uh it's one of those things where not enough people are looking at artificial intelligence from that perspective. How would you how would you try to change that? Well, you know, there's many ways. Uh, so one is what I'm doing now. I'm engaged in a lot of um, think tanks in D.C. You know, I've been uh, a member of the CNAS, the Center for a New American Security Task Force for a while. Also been having interactions with a lot of folks at the Brookings Institution, and I want to uh, continue to increase that. I'm a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, and I'm very excited about introducing artificial intelligence discussions in that fora. Uh, recently, I spoke at the National Academies of Science and Engineering, and it was wonderful. We had the best um, neuro guys in the world, and we had computer scientists, and we had uh, lots of people from the absolute top end of the academic uh, realms, and, and we you know, engaged in a discussion there. Uh, we're trying to take this discussion international. Spark Cognition just expanded to the UAE, and we're engaged in discussions at the highest levels of government there to, to bring awareness uh, here in the U.S., same thing with academia. You know, I'm serving on the advisory board of UT Computer Science, and we uh, think very seriously about these issues there. Uh, and then with my friend August Cole, who is one of the most brilliant uh, military fi- fiction writers, he and I have collaborated on a few pieces. Some will be coming out where we, through the uh, the tool of fiction uh, and the tool of storytelling, open up the general public to some of the types of problems that we want to think about as we head into this future. So I'm trying to do a few things and I hope uh, they have some impact. I think they will. You're staying incredibly busy. What would you tell students now that want to be involved in the future in a meaningful way? It doesn't have to be AI. You know, I have three boys, a 14-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a four and a half-year-old. And I can share the advice that I've given them. Is that 
we're now in a world where the greatest skill, and perhaps this was always the case, but it's just become very obvious now. The greatest skill is teaching yourself how to learn. The tools now exist to allow you to master anything. My middle boy impressed me so immensely. Uh, he came and just told me that he was picking up a new language on his own. And he was putting together sentences uh, that were, you know, beginner sentences, but certainly uh, well on my capacity. Um, and I've just been bad at languages my whole life. And so watching him do that on his own with no one asking him to do it was amazing to me. It was sort of, you can learn anything you want to learn now. And that's the new world. You have access to all this information. So that's number one. But the second thing is that, you know, that is simply what's out there. Yes, you have the capability to learn. The knowledge is out there. The internet is out there. You can look things up. There's videos, there's tutorials, there's other friends that might be interested that you could connect with on online communities. All of that's there. But there's one thing that has to come from inside you, and that is passion. With my wife, I've always had this discussion from day one, you know, when we had our firstborn, which was to say that, you know, our job is if we can just work with this child to get him to a point where he finds a passion and we see that spark in his eye, half our job is done because he will be better than us in every way. He will carry it far further then you and I will be able to carry it. But getting him there, getting him to that light in his eyes, that's our job. So to me, if we can combine these two things, if we can work with our children to get them pointed to an area, maybe they try a bunch of different things. Maybe we're encouraging of them. Maybe we open doors that they wouldn't have thought to open. But those are things we can do. But they have to then light that fire of passion within them. And then that, along with the environment that we have, where all knowledge is accessible and everyone is accessible, and you know, you have um, videos and audio and podcasts and all this brilliant stuff to teach yourself whatever you want. What a magical world. I think what it requires is just for us to encourage children to find what they want to do with their life. It takes a spark, says the founder of Spark Cognition. I could completely agree with that. Uh, I want to jump a little bit more into the, the industrial applications now. What are some of the areas that you see major potential for artificial intelligence and optimization that, generally speaking, aren't talked about enough? Physical industries, we just announced uh, with Boeing uh, last week that we will be collaborating with them to build uh, an AI-powered, blockchain-powered system for unmanned traffic management. Today, you have tens of thousands of aircraft, manned aircraft in the sky, but we're going to a future where tens of millions of unmanned systems will be in the sky. And being able to provide all of this support, the infrastructure that will enable that kind of transport in a safe way, in an era where there are cyber threats, but also in ways that are not irritating to the population uh, on the ground, where we can deliver quality of service for these systems, where we can have sense and avoid on, uh, on these systems, and they can have a level of autonomy in and of themselves. These are all really, really tough, hard science problems. Then there's the certifiability of a system like this, uh, going through the FAA and going through all the regulatory concerns. So th these are very big, grand challenges, but I, but I think if we solve them and we have a good shot at solving them, working along, alongside the greatest aviation company in the world, Boeing, we solve them, we build a new world. This is, uh, you know, in economic terms, more than a $3 trillion market, one of the largest markets that will get created in our lifetime. But the effect that this will have on our fellow humans all over the world will be tremendous. We are unlocking the third dimension and allowing this third dimension, you know, vertically up sky to be used for services that we haven't even dreamt of. So I think that is one example and something that we're so directly working with. I just wanted to start with that. But then energy, 
you know, we have so many energy clients, alternate energy, traditional energy. And in both cases, we want to make them more efficient. We want to be able to predict failure on machines before it happens. We want to equip workers with prescriptive solutions. So when something is about to break, not only are you told what's about to break, but you're also given in pure natural language just for human consumption, the exact recipe that you should apply to fix this problem. I mean, the physical industries are ripe for the application of artificial intelligence. And one of the reasons for Spark Cognition's success is we've been able to do so much so quickly, and we've been able to show real results on the ground working with these giant companies. AI is so data-driven. Will it just be something that accelerates leading players? Yes, uh, that's been a question that's been raised uh, quite a bit. And so there are actually multiple trends in the in the market right now. One is that a lot of the, the, the companies that have digital dominance are becoming everything companies, right? Without naming any specific player, but you see folks that are running large data centers that have been amalgamating data over time. And they're basically IT companies. They can enter almost any new industry whether it's aviation or whether it's, you know, uh, movies or whether it's, uh, you know, home services, literally disparate industries that had nothing to do with each other. The power of data is the fundamental differentiator for these companies. And they can use that data to extract all the margin to run things very efficiently and enter any industry they like. So the whole idea of being in a vertical has kind of been flipped on its head because data is the great unifier. Data expertise of how to leverage data for business benefit is what allows you to walk into any industry and be competitive day one. So that's the kind of scenario that traditional businesses, traditional verticalized businesses have been dealing with. And because they don't come from the IT or the software side of the house, their thinking is tied deeply to the traditions and sciences that have driven their own industries traditionally. They are at somewhat of a disadvantage. And one of our motivations at Spark Cognition is to bring the benefits of cutting-edge AI to the large physical industries. So I think there's a balancing act. I don't think you want the concentration of all capability in any one area. So, you know, these two forces are in play in the market and let's see where it all shakes out. How do how do industry leaders and traditionally tech stupid companies get up to speed and what are best practices for managing data so that it is more effective for running through different algorithms to optimize? Well, you know, technology, cutting-edge technology development is a lot about culture. Earlier, we were talking about this in the individual case of a child finding a passion, but ultimately, it's also companies that have to find many such people that have a shared passion, and greatness comes from that. So if you've built your culture around something else, you were passionate about something else, and that's great, but now where the value is and where the real exponential technologies are, are, are relevant, you don't have a core capacity or a core capability in that area, then the answer is that you need to get very, very smart about partnerships. You need to get very, very smart and realize that you won't suddenly go from a dishwasher company or a car company or a pipe manufacturer or a, you know, a, I don't know, a home goods manufacturer to being the top machine learning player in town. And so how do you make that transition? How do you get that capability in a short period of time? Because if competitors are out there with that capability, is to, to invest in partnerships and to create a company culture that is open to partnerships. That, I think, is going to be a common identifier of successful companies in future. There's usually a lot of not invented here in large companies. You know, of course, uh, we've got enough people. We can do it. We've got more money. Yes, but you don't have that focus. And this is why in the history of software, great software applications have been written by small numbers of people 
sometimes with not much support from large companies. And there's a reason for it. And that's the way software works. So to not understand those things culturally and then to lock down and not be an effective partner, that I think is the worst thing that a big company can do. That being said, I see that changing in some very important areas and it's very encouraging. So AI is designed primarily, at least today, for productivity. Things are becoming more productive and we're finding better ways to do things. But we're not finding different ways to do better things so much. There's much less creativity and much more productivity. Do you see that happening? Do you see that changing? And how do you think about that in terms of business opportunities? That's a very good point. So I think the applications where AI has started to pay for itself and pay dividends are applications where you know you might be preventing a failure and you might be increasing uptime and those are usually classed as productivity uh, enhancers but as far as creativity you know i actually believe that ai can make you very creative i'll share a small personal story with you i like writing poetry i'm not a very good poet so i don't publish my poetry but i enjoy writing poetry and recently i did an experiment i wrote an artificial intelligence program not a very sophisticated one but uh, you know a reasonable program that works with me in giving me ideas for poems that I want to write. Now, it's capable of actually producing poetry on its own. Some of it is pretty decent. Other, you know, other parts are uh, nonsense. Roses are red, violets are blue. I am terrible at poetry, but maybe can help you. The value that I have in working with that program is that it gives me ideas. And I found that I can actually get through a lot of material very quickly. And it just unlocks my mind to start me thinking about, you know, a turn of verse or a use of a word here or there. It's been a pretty interesting experience. And that's a very personal story. So that I think is in the realm of creativity, but that's just my personal story. There are companies like uh, Autodesk that are looking at generative design. I'm a huge believer in generative design, the power of algorithms to come up with new types of structures. This sort of technology is also being applied in the a pharmaceutical industry where algorithms can go find compounds that weren't otherwise discovered by human beings. So, uh, yeah, I think the current focus might be, the visible focus might be on the productivity enhancers, but in, in, in no way would I say that AI has little relevance to creativity. I think uh, it's, it's massively relevant and I've personally experienced it. When you're most productive, do you feel remotely creative? I would, I would say that... Uh, I would say that in moments where I have the self-realization that I have just been creative are moments in which I am most elated. That feeling is indescribable. And it takes a lot to sell myself internally on the fact that I have, in fact, been creative. You know, saying one new thing, given that I'm the hundred billionth person that has walked this earth, saying one new thing is so difficult. In my childhood, I had many experiences where I would discover a phenomenon. I would run up to my father and I would say, look what I discovered. And he would say, yes, it's called such and such is law of such and such. And I would be completely deflated because it had been done before. But at the same time, now with 100 billion people behind us saying one new thing is so difficult that when you feel that you're close to that, it's an absolute, absolutely magical experience. And a few times in my life, I've been lucky enough to experience it. And it's the ultimate thrill. I would agree for myself personally. And I would guess for most people, it feels like there's an on-off switch. Productivity and creativity feel inversely related. I don't think you can try to be productively creative. And I don't think you can try to be creatively productive. I think 
that what I'm getting at is, do you see or would you guess that AI would be able to overcome seeming human problems with this? I think uh, the story that I told you of, um, you know, my experience writing poetry, I think is speaking to that, right? I mean, there are some humans that have been incredibly productive and also very creative. Isaac Asimov comes to mind. Stephen King comes to mind. You know, there are people that are just, they just produce tons of stuff and, and, and most of it is pretty good. So uh, there's, there's people like Da Vinci and uh, from a- ancient Persia, uh, Amir Khusro. There are people like that in history, but there's few and far between. Can AI work with us to make more of us like that, perhaps? I, I agree. I've just, what I've seen personally from AI systems has been much more of a productively attempting to mimic versus genuine create. I mean, I guess it comes down to what is genuine creativity, which is a whole nother can of worms. And that I don't have a good answer for. What, um, what technologies outside of what you're focused on in your day-to-day life are you most interested or excited about? I'm really excited about hypersonics. I'm really excited about, we dabble with AR, we use AR, but we don't fundamentally develop the hardware for AR technology. So next generation visualization technologies, I'm really, really very excited about. I'm very excited about disruptive urban aerial mobility. I I want that as soon as possible. So, you know, this partnership with Boeing is is partially motivated by self-interest. I can't wait to have that. There are types of telepresence technologies, which I thought Cisco many years ago had made great strides, but it hasn't progressed as rapidly as uh, I would have hoped. But, you know, again, a lot of these light field technologies and a lot of the uh, hologram projections, 5G will probably help in that. So I'm excited about 5G because of that. I think um, 5G combined with better projection technology, holograms, that could be very interesting. I mean, look, I, I, I'm a technology nut. I'm fascinated with so many technologies. CRISPR is another one that I'm really fascinated with. So, I mean, the list is long. And you're a serial entrepreneur, inventor. You like to do new things. Let's say Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, somebody came in, bought your business for $10 billion. You got bought out, have all the time and money in the world. What problem would you want to focus on? What would you want to do with the world? Now, I would continue to focus on the intelligence problem. You know, like I said, even though my companies have had products in different categories and so on. The underlying unifying thread since that early age has been my, I mean, I, I'm, I'm captivated by this idea of synthetic intelligence. So maybe it would be, you know, something different in the sense of a product, it would be different. But really, I think my lifelong journey is how do we get to synthetic intelligence? And that's not one thing, because when you have that, as a result, you could have many things. Uh, you know, a topic that I'm fascinated with is uh, maybe connected to your creativity question is, again, unlocking discovery with synthetic intelligence. So I just want to explore. I want to know what's out there. There's an infinite landscape of ideas. I'm, I'm, all I'm doing is just building myself a tool to help me see more of what's out there. That's it. Why do you think you have that driving force? Where do you think it comes from? I don't know, maybe it's some sort of genetic mutation. Uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't explain to you. I, my parents shaped all of us in, a, in an amazing way with all, all of us, four uh, brothers and sisters. My older sister is a uh, string theorist, high energy physicist, and my younger siblings are also into science. So my view is that, of course, our household, uh, what my father used to do, sit us down at dinner and used to pick a topic and then have us debate it. I mean, those things have been tremendously helpful. The rule in our house was 
anything else you need, you have to ask permission for, you want a book, you can get it. Uh, That's the rule that I follow with my children also. Yes, those things have been tremendously valuable. But I think also it's, you know, it's really, some would call it a gift of the universe and others would call it a genetic mutation, whatever it is, there's, there's something there. How do you focus? And do you feel at all intimidated by the sister studying string theory? I'm very intimidated by her. And um, she hasn't helped the cause. I've tried to understand the kinds of things that she thinks about. And one day I was pushing her very hard. And she said to me, she said, Amir, listen to me, you will never understand this. And the reason you will never understand it is because you ask me questions and you expect answers in English. And there is no English for what I'm doing. You have to work through the math the words that would correlate to the mathematical reality that I'm thinking about do not exist. So I can give you loose parallels. I can try to be nice to you, but you won't get it. So work hard, learn the math, and then come back. So I appreciated that, even though I was crestfallen and very depressed for many days. But I think she's been the only honest physicist in that regard. The other physicists I know have been much nicer to me, but my understanding of physics hasn't progressed. So there might be something that... You could probably get her back. Tell her your your systems have solved what she's working on. Would she like to see the answer? Have some have some fun with that. I, I know we're we're starting to run close on time in terms of how much we have left. My last question for you before we start to wrap things up, what are the most common myths or misconceptions people have about what you do? Well, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people think that artificial intelligence and robotics are the same thing. They're related in that artificial intelligence is the brain that can drive robots, but robots can also be driven simply by traditional programming. They don't have to be intelligent. They can just program to repeat the same thing over and over again. So that's one. The other is that, you know, there's some grand conspiracy here of uh, building some secret military capability and the military has some secret AGI systems hidden away somewhere. And my reaction to all of that is that a lot of science needs to happen before we get anywhere close to that capability. So there isn't a secret cave somewhere with uh, armies or legions of commander data or lore, whoever you preferred from Star Trek, waiting uh, in the wings. Could that happen in future? Sure. But I don't think the science is there right now. So that's another one. Uh, the third is, again, that that this will replace all our jobs. This is misery and we shouldn't do it. So the myth there is that there is no future in which this this ends well. And I think that is an absolute myth. In fact, it's our job to continue to develop technology and continue to develop our faculties of being able to create in more and more productive ways. So those to me are the three that I would talk about. That last is so focused on the goals of French FM because people only see the dystopian Hollywood visions because that's that's what sells. That's what's exciting. We're attracted to sex and blood and all the fun stuff. So the future always looks bleak and terrible. Amir, thanks for coming on. Leave people with a challenge. What would you want them to look into, do, or take action on? Well, you know, I have a very simple challenge, which is that in meeting a lot of great people around the world, I found that they are always teaching themselves something. They're always reading. They're always talking to people that could teach them something. Here's a very simple challenge. Take a subject that you've always thought you couldn't master, that you've always thought you couldn't understand. It was just that little bit beyond you and do something tangible. Go pick up a book at Barnes and Noble, go to the library, look at something there, go talk to a friend that has mastered that art or that science or whatever it is, but do something tangible to take one, two, three steps forward in furthering your understanding of that unattainable intellectual challenge that you've always 
thought of your whole life. Do that one difficult thing and see how far you get. So you're going to go grab a book on th- string theory? That's what I'm doing. Very good. Very good. We'd love, to, uh, we'd love to potentially have your sister on the program as well. Thanks for coming on today, Amir. This has been a lot of fun. Where is the best place for people to reach out and learn a little bit more about what you do? Uh, AmirHussain.com, A-M-I-R-H-U-S-A-I-N, AmirHussain.com, and my company, Spark Cognition, S-P-A-R-K-C-O-G-N-I-T-I-O-N, SparkCognition.com. And of course, guys, we'll have links and everything great in the show notes, fringe.fm, just search for Amir. We believe credibility is king. You may have noticed that Fringe FM, unlike most other podcasts, isn't filled with three minutes of ads at the beginning and end of every episode for comfy mattresses, better hiring or conferencing software, or robotic doorbells. And that's not that advertisers haven't asked. The thing is, if we tried to sell you on buying our advertisers' products, that would require deception and a level of misalignment and lack of open transparency and trust that we think podcasting in this medium necessitates. Would you trust someone who turned around and tried to sell you shit? We wouldn't. The online ads-based ecosystem is killing our political and societal world. We're used to getting something for nothing and are thus stuck in a clickbaity society of Trumpian tweets focused on extracting attention and avoiding the real meaningful issues and conversations. To fix this, we need to start paying for things that we value. Otherwise, it's all BuzzFeed from here on out. So before you go, if you like Fringe FM and believe our mission to be important, consider making a tax-deductible donation. Fringe FM is fiscally sponsored by a registered 501c3 nonprofit focused on advancing science worldwide. That means you can write off your donation for tax purposes and possibly even get your employer to match the donation, all of which would drastically boost the level of good that we can do in the world and the quality of show we can produce. To learn more about supporting Fringe FM and whether your gift would qualify to reduce your taxes, please visit fringe.fm give for more information. If you want more of Fringe FM, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to fringe.fm where you'll find tons of audio and video interviews with leaders in the fields of genetics, cryptocurrency, longevity, AI, space, VR, and much, much more. And you can follow me on Twitter at It's Matt Ward. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review in iTunes to help more people discover Fringe FM.